Crochet Lavushka, second episode of season three. We're excited to be here. Also written by David Chase. Directed by Tim Van Patten. Um, and actually, it was shown on the same day it was. as Mr. Jerry's Neighborhood. It was like a two-part two-episode episode night. Yeah. So. And they're both by David Chase. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, the big thing that we have happening in this episode is the passing of Olivia, which actually coincided with Nancy Marchand actually passing away. So kind of out of necessity for the show. It's interesting how they deal with it. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I remember it as worse than it is usually. I know. Me CGI too. CGI or whatever. In fact, actually on this viewing, I was actually kind of impressed considering the year and the level of technology that existed at that time, mm-hmm. how they kind of pull it off as tastefully as possible. Yeah. It is amusing to watch knowing that they just kind of CGI that scene and use old Livia phrases, but she is kind of a broken record as a character, so it actually like kind of works. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I feel like this episode really is struggling with and dealing with these issues of dealing with death. I feel like that's a really big part of it. And then also an interesting thing about this episode is the inclusion of a lot of references to film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and poetry and music. And poetry and music. Yeah, I feel like there's something kind of meta about this episode. And, and in fact, it kind of like just references the world of art outside of it in, in a way that kind of draws upon what it's been doing the whole time. And kind mm-hmm. of maybe like references some of its influences. Mm-hmm. And even that that first episode, you know, with us showing up uh, at, with Tony on the floor the rewinding scene and then like kind of like the weird sound effects continuing and then we see like meadow rewinding on Mm -hmm. the movie Mm -hmm. it's they're referencing kind of the the lack of reality maybe in this episode which works for livia because obviously she wasn't there yeah so that kind of like heightens our sense of you know it kind of like takes us out of the the normal level of reality that this show strives for Totally. And I like how they played with that, actually, because that's so unusual for this show to have a scene like that where they're, like, rewinding and going backwards in time. It's kind of this, like, extended technique effect or something that the show doesn't really use. But then even after, like, the fact that they're incorporating the sound effects of rewinding Mm -hmm. during the actual normal playing, Mm -hmm. and then Meadow is, is rewinding on the film, clearly there's a lot of film that's referenced in this movie, or sorry, in this show and uh, throughout the series. But, um, yeah, I just, I, you know, I thought it was cool. I just wonder why Tony was watching it in so many parts. Like, he spent, like, four nights watching it. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. I, I think it's about him coming to grips with his mother's death. And that's where the episode ends off. So the last thing that we have is when he's, you know, so the movie Public Enemy, Tommy Boy is dead. And it's funny because it's actually kind of like a comical scene where his mm-hmm. corpse is dropped off, but his mother is excited and mm-hmm. getting the place together. I and feel maybe, like, like, slightly unhinged. Yeah. But, you know, I feel like that's almost, like, the climax of, well, maybe that movie, but also of this episode. Like, that's where Tony actually finally deals with his emotions, and he actually cries, right? Does he really deal with his emotions? Well, more than he is in, in previous parts. And I thought it was actually really interesting. Like, the times when he's watching Public Enemy... Um, I think it's reflecting him using media and using film to not 
deal with his emotions mm -hmm. and not to deal with his mother dying. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like the scene where he's watching and then there's actually like a zoom out and we see the house in nature with nature sounds, which we've talked a lot mm -hmm. about. And you know mm -hmm. what that typically embodies and what that represents. And then we see like the flashing of the TV inside. Yeah. And I feel like he's distracting himself with yeah. television or with, you know, with film. Well, it's interesting, right? Like, cause we see that like whatever, like with Netflix and stuff like that today, like more and more now people use consuming media and like TV and movies and stuff like that as this kind of like time to zone out or relax or decompress. And I think what David Chase is saying is like, that's not what art is for. Hmm. I don't know, like, or art, yeah, art is not for that, if that makes sense. Because it isn't this like it, I think like good art brings up emotions in people mm. rather than like suppresses them, them yeah. or distracts from them, yeah. right? So I thought that was interesting, you know, even with like the piece of like the carousel song later right. on. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, anyways, I just think like there was a message there about, you know, how we use, you know, how we use art to cope yeah and also the fact that it does bring him to cope you know when he sees this mother character who loves her son and you know she wants she's excited that mm -hmm. tommy boy's coming home like that actually does elicit something yeah. in him i don't know what i call it coping like i i, I still kind of question it, that no, like it's he's forcing like, him to confront emotions i don't know though. if he is he's just like feeling emotions i don't know if he's actually like confronting them or coping mm -hmm. with them but he he's expressing them but even that's something new for him a lot of the time because most of the time he just suppresses them and mm -hmm. ignores them mm -hmm. yeah i thought it was interesting too i thought that there were some instances of the movie kind of there was like a connection between tony as this kind of out racist <laughs> mm -hmm. with you know with meadows new boyfriend noah mm -hmm. tannenbaum and she and he's kind of coming out and, and talking about him in, like, pretty outrageous terms. And I thought it was interesting, like, they also reference, like, scenes in the movie when he's watching. Like, for instance, there's a scene where he's, uh, Tommy Wise, you know, saying, I guess to his girlfriend or to the woman he was with, you know, I wish you was a wishing well so I could sink you, that kind of a thing. And also, there's a there's a scene where, like, he's with Meadow and then there's a cut to him watching the movie and it goes to the the statement, ah, you're a yeller. Um, and I thought it was interesting that, like, he's... I feel like the movie has these kind of, like, racist overtones and Tony is taking elements from it. And there's that, there's that scene in the first season where Tony talks about how it's the 1950s mm -hmm. inside the house and he's drawn to this old movie and kind of, like, there's these values within the movie that I feel like Tony has adopted in his life. And there's like a, maybe a simplicity too in the movie that's distracting for him or allows him to cope because it's in line with these kind of simplistic and what we would find offensive worldviews, but kind of simplify things for him. And not just racist, but also misogynist in a way of, you know, speaking down to to woman and also like in a almost like borderline violent way it's this case of like the man and the protagonist there he's kind of like his power is kind of unchecked and it's also like it gives tony maybe strength when he can kind of have support from a movie or a value system like that 
that he can keep up these offensive views of others that are different than him. Yeah. The other, like, I guess we see Tony coping, if you will, with being angry at Meadow. Like you just said, like after we have a scene with Meadow, you see him watching the movie. Mm-hmm. He also, at one point, I forget which of the Meadow scenes it was, but he's mad. Maybe it's the one where he, she comes home with Noah. I'm not sure. And then we see him being angry. And then we the next scene is him out, like, adjusting his sprinkler yeah. in the backyard, right? So he's, like, controlling nature. Like, it's something he can control. And But then he comes back inside, and that's when they tell him that Livia died. That's right. So, yeah. And then we also have, like, you mentioned that scene where we have, like, the scene in the movie where he's smashing the grapefruit in the female character's face. And then we have that shot to, like, nature, crickets outside. So yeah. we are kind of contrasting those two things, I yeah. think, too. I don't know. Well, there was also the scene, I mean, when he went outside, which is an interesting decision to include that in this episode because it's so short. I think, I forget the exact scene it's coming from, but he's kind of out of control. Like, or he's, like, not in full control of the situation. But he goes outside and then he actually, like, smokes his cigar while he's outside too by the pool no it's i think he goes outside maybe it is by the sprinklers like just like in the yard but then he goes back and finds out that they say your mother's dead. Oh, okay so that's the so, same i didn't yeah know how to... but i thought i know yeah i remember that he was he was smoking like i feel like tony's always trying to assert control mm-hmm. and perhaps like assert control over the afterlife and when he goes back like it's just like a constant reminder in this episode that he's not in control mm-hmm. even like the racist views that he has like he has the he passes out at the beginning of the episode when he has this altercation with noah meadow leaves and then he goes and he's looking when he's like gathering things in the kitchen and then Mm -hmm. he's looking at things that remind him of these like racist issues that he's been kind of dealing with like Like the uncle sorry like meat like no well no but he has there's like the uncle ben's rice Mm -hmm. and he focused that's the last thing Mm -hmm. we see it focuses on that before he passes out Mm -hmm. like he says it to Carmela when she wakes him up too yeah i think he he recognizes that times have changed and that like he's not i don't know if he recognizes that he's not in the right but he recognizes that he's like outside of the norm or like what is what are current current views he's -hmm. holding on to something from the past he's got you know and that it's like it's the end of that time Mm-hmm. And he's, like, desperately holding on to it. I think he's struggling in that moment with what Meadow has with Noah and how he sees it. I mean, whatever it is moves him to pass out. He's he's dealing with something from that, mm-hmm. from those from those issues. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's it's coming from him that leads him to pass out, like all these other times. Like, it's, a, it's an internal issue. It's something that he brings upon himself. Mm-hmm. But then we see, like, Reverend James Jr. and the, whatever, Councilman Zellman or yeah. assembly, assembly person man. or something. Yeah. Like, they come to the funeral. That's right. Kind of he, like, he deals with them as business people. He also says, you know, like... I have colleagues who are whatever. And they wouldn't want my kids with theirs, and I don't want my kids with theirs. So mm-hmm. it's like this strictly business arrangement. I mean, it's, it's so backwards, but he can't deal with it within his family. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's pushing it. That's too far. Mm. but clearly i mean something after that pushes him to have anxiety and not be able to cope with that i thought it was interesting too like after he passes out there's mayonnaise 
on the table is one of the things that we see, which also made me think about the references to mayonnaisers in this show of the kind of like cultureless, mm. the equivalent of Canadian, what Canadian Italian people call munja cakes mm-hmm. <laughs> of like, yeah, I guess kind of like a, a general description of like cultureless, kind of like lacking. We also know that cultural Tony, Tony likes to dip his meat in mayonnaise when he eats. Right. But there's something too about like the, how white bread he is mm-hmm. too and how his values are so insular and they're lacking mm-hmm. in perspective mm-hmm. they're actually lacking in the culture and understanding of what america is mm-hmm. anyway it just made me think of that what about all the ghosts in this episode there certainly were a lot of ghosts yeah so i mean we have we have pussy showing up in the mirror mm-hmm. again like heightened reality which isn't that typical in this show Mm -hmm, totally we also have we have aj looking behind him and then saying grandma yeah when he's in the house alone yeah we have johnny boy i guess you you were saying walking down the stairs i think it is you can kind of see the glasses that one's the creepiest one it's like a guy who comes down the stairs and then goes back up when they're having that family circle time yeah Um, it's an interesting episode i feel like it's it's separated from the rest of the episodes in some way. Like the techniques that they use and the feeling of this episode is somewhat different from the rest of the series. Mm. And maybe that's what happens too when when somebody like a key cast member dies or a family member dies. Like people cope with it in a weird way, and it is a weird time for right. all these characters. Right. It's emotionally confusing. Mm. And so that makes sense. Again, like if we look at the show from the perspective of like Tony as kind of our narrator or the center of our world. I mean, it's clearly an emotionally confusing time. And if the show is about psychology, it's not perfect right Mm -hmm. now. Like, it is this kind of heightened reality because he's dealing with this, you know. Well, and arguably art is heightened reality. Right. Too, right? Like, it's, you know, art isn't always pointing out mundane moments. Art is pointing out moments that are worthy of talking, writing a poem about or making a movie about. Or um, writing a song about. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's a connection there. We have the Robert Frost poem. Mm-hmm. Right? I thought that so, was actually a pretty significant scene in this episode. Stopping by woods on a snowy evening. Yeah. AJ asking, what does it mean? Just give me the fucking answer already. <laughs> <laughs> I love his guesses. Like, she's like, what does snow represent? He's what like, does- Christmas. Yeah. One, well, you know, snow, no, endless nothing. And I love the, you know, I thought black was death, white too. Yeah. Which I found that interesting. I mean, my obsession with colors. I know. Comes, I was well, waiting for I, you I to talk about it. I couldn't really avoid it in this episode. I mean, especially at the funeral. I mean, I recognize that people wear all black to funerals, but the color scheme is beyond that. I mean, it's really all blacks and whites. And there's something about the reference to blacks and whites can refer to death, actually, in that statement for me that meant something. Because, I mean, and I've talked a lot about the use of blacks and whites throughout the show as a color scheme. The lack of color and the focus on blacks and whites and how that could possibly represent a simplistic kind of dualistic worldview Mm -hmm. of, like, two options. But it often does represent and reflect, like, good and evil. I mean, and, and, you know, and, and life and death. And I think that there's there's many things that are going on here. For instance, like at the wake where the color scheme is overwhelmingly black and white. Like that's really all we have. But when we see Pussy in the afterlife, he's wearing all gray, which visually identifies him differently than all the people at the shindig. 
that are coping a with shindig. death. shindig. <laughs> That's what Tony said. He said that he wanted to have a shindig. Right. Um, but there's a couple lines in the episode that I thought were relevant to this, and it's kind of why I wanted to bring it up. I mean, there's, there's Meadow talking to AJ about the poem. He's talking about his death that has yet to come, but will come. And I think that... And then actually after that, AJ's left without his music that he started with, Mm -hmm. which for me is like another coping mechanism Mm -hmm. similar to Tony with the film. Mm -hmm. He's listening to this like loud music. Mm -hmm. People don't want to deal with death. Mm -hmm. And AJ is distracting himself. And he doesn't want to deal with the issues in this poem. In fact, you know, what he's saying, like, just give me the fucking answer. Like, he just wants an answer. He wants it quick. He wants somebody to hand it to him. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't want to contemplate it. And then what he's left with are, they use the nature sounds and silence. And then, you know, he goes and says, Grandma? Like, that's when he's looking for her. But this idea of he's talking about his death that is yet to come but will come, I think that there's, like, this inevitability of death that hangs over this show for all characters. And when the show ends, I think, actually, that's a big question about the ending. And there's just, like, an idea of death will always exist for these characters and it will always be over people's shoulders. Mm-hmm. And I think well, and we're... Also, yeah. yeah, and they keep... Re- well, Tony keeps repeating, like, what are you going to do when, when he's talking to the guys? Well, they have nothing to say about it. I mean, it's Well, it's but I think it, it's, like, it's inevitable. I think yeah. that's kind of, like, what are you going to do? Well, so where this gets interesting, what I was thinking about mm-hmm. is the idea of black and white signifying death and at the wake, everybody wearing black and white. There was this idea for me of both of those lead to death. Both black and white can lead to death. And what I mean by that is we've talked about black and white quite a bit as like a simplistic idea of breaking things down into two answers, like right and wrong. Tony being kind of impulsive and coming up with ideas of this is this and this is that. And that's it. Like he does not have a fully formed worldview that kind of takes in nuance. Mm -hmm. And I think that he does that probably to push off – really dealing with his emotions and the the truths of kind of like what he's brought out into the world Mm -hmm. and a lot of these more complicated questions that he doesn't want to deal with Mm -hmm. but i think that it all leads to death like that's the thing that hangs over the show these characters will all die and that's the thing that they're kind of struggling with that's what we're examining psychologically right how people cope with that and i think that there's distractions but i think that also like tony's simplistic broken down black and white worldview it's kind of i don't know i feel like no matter what the decision is between those kind of two simplistic options it's always going to lead to dying Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the world i mean again (laughs) i feel like part of it too is there's also something kind of ridiculous of meadow saying both black and white mean death so there can be, like, overreading of these things. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's always something that can exist in this show, and it's not something that's supposed to be solved. And, I mean, sometimes I try, I, I want to kind of, like, I, there's, a, there's a human instinct to solve these things, but I also feel like that's maybe not the point. Like, it's just putting things out there and examining them. Yeah, well, I think it's linked into, like, I don't even, I don't know if for me it's about, like, how we cope with death, but it's, like, about what, death means to people so i think like you know we do see some characters who are ghosts right so like what happens when we die right like what does death actually mean right we see an example of it in public enemy with this like dead corpse showing up at your door kind of thing and like the mom's preparing for him to be there um we have references to religion right we have like well she was catholic so 
we should have like, are we, is there going to be a priest or whatever? Um, even though that wasn't, those weren't her wishes. We have um, Christopher's little high speech kind of about the nature of like being an individual and like what, you know, like is there, you know, could there be another Livia again, yeah. right? Like is her spirit or is her like, you know, soul or whatever lingering out there and finding another body, if you will. Um, so I don't know. I think it like, I don't know if it's coping rather like other rather than just like the different ways that people see death. And so some people do see black as this symbol of death. And some people see, you know, white as this kind of more like it's still a symbol of death and nothingness, but it has a different tone mm-hmm. to it. Um, and that, again, kind of like you said, like both of those can still mean the same thing, but it's kind of like seeing it in a different right. way. I don't mm-hmm. know, or from a different lens. Totally. And I mean, this show is very, you know, like there's, well, there's definitely variety. Like Day of the Dead too, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Which all are different ways of conceptualizing what yeah. happens after you die. Totally. Totally. I feel like Tony as a character really wants to like assert himself against death. Like those scenes, this is now, there's been multiple, but like when he's at the funeral parlor and he's smoking a cigar in there, like mm-hmm. I feel like he's really trying to dominate the situation or something. Like he's trying to assert control in that environment. Like he's trying to kind of like give a fuck you or something almost to death by in that environment like smoking there. Like it's disrespectful to it and it's a way of kind of like mm. – dominating it Mm. or something because it's it's kind of representing him being in control Mm -hmm. which we've seen a lot in this in the show like he often smokes in in situations where he is feeling or is in control and there's an element of him wanting that Mm -hmm. but he can't have it it's impossible and i think it's just like one of the main things that people are struggling with right in this you know in this world we get to meet ralphie we do get to meet Ralphie. I love the uh, very first scene with him, the first interaction, like Tony, just the acting of James Gandolfini. Yeah, you can tell how he feels about him right Immediately. away. Immediately. Well, it's so interesting because, I mean, he looks so awkward and he's looking around when Ralphie's, you know, giving this kind of like emotional yeah. kind of, yeah, delivery to him. But it's amazing because then when, as soon as they go outside, he's a completely different person. Mm-mm. And... I thought that that was really interesting compared to Janice who comes in crying. There's something that's like immediately actually linking those two characters because the first time we see Ralphie, like it's completely mm-hmm. two-faced and it's actually related to Janice who's been playing the situation. Our most you know, two-faced character. Saying she, you know, she didn't want to come. And then she's talking to Tony and saying, well, you know, some of us working people and a half price ticket. And she's already figured out that a half price ticket from, I guess, Seattle is $1,100, which seems Sounds expensive. pretty preposterous. <laughs> she seems to be gaming the system a little bit on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that there, it, it's amazing just in terms of David Chase's writing, how efficient he is with establishing Ralphie as a complicated mm-hmm. character with about two lines of dialogue mm-hmm. and reactions from the people around him. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, that's an, like, he's becomes obviously a really important character. Um, well, and one increasingly connected to Janice. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, I didn't remember him being introduced in that way, like, as, the, you know, like, with the garbage stuff and everything I know, like he that. Like, he, he just, up. well, we don't even realize, like, he takes over um, Richie's crew. Right. Right, and... 
So it just kind of like comes out of nowhere that we have this new character who becomes really important. And I always love that. Yeah. We have Ray Curto as an informant now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I mean, I feel like there's something... <sighs> There's just, like, an element of Tony is just so not in control. Mm -hmm. There's all these things that are coming up where Tony... There's there's so many threats to Tony from so many different directions mm -hmm. that they're just kind of, like, throwing them up again and again to just kind of remind us of how much this guy has to deal with yeah. and how much threatens him and could take him down. Yeah. I mean, even now that Pussy's gone, there's just another guy to take his place. Yeah. Even the way he gets in the car, you know, and is speaking to the FBI agent. Yeah. It's uh, it's basically the exact same thing. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, I thought it was <laughs> interesting. Furio and Chris, actually, um, before they go to the wake, the way, and then and with Adriana, but the way the scene starts with Furio and Chris both smoking from the bongs, mm -hmm. there was something that actually tied that and referenced them to Matt and Sean, who Furio went, remember, right before they kind of go off mm -hmm. the deep end but the kind of like homoerotic overtones yeah. of when Furio walked in of those two smoking from a bong. Yeah. It was actually kind of portrayed in a sort of similar way. Yeah, yeah. But it's ironic, right? Because Furio was demeaning them, but now they're kind of just doing the exact same yeah. thing in a, you know. Well, again, way, kind of another of method of coping. Coping, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's what it is. Yeah. It was interesting to go back to that for a second. In terms, there was a couple, there was two scenes where we see characters at the, at the part, the whatever, the shindig after the funeral. Yeah. Um, laughing. So we have like Hesh telling a joke. Yeah. And the guys are laughing. And then there's a scene in the kitchen with like, I think like Rosalie's there and Gabriella. Yeah. Rosalie's telling a story of some sort and they're all laughing. Um, and we see like that's how they're kind of coping with this, right? Yeah. Also, people saying like at least she didn't suffer, right? That's like there a, was a, lot a of common, well, um, we, yeah. a common thing to well, do. And, and then we have yeah. Tony who says this really weird line, I think, in a lot of ways, because he sees Meadow yeah. talking to people and like <laughs> She's and becoming being a like robot, at least she like didn't. The rest of us, or is that the, was it that one? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then he says all her innocence is gone. Um, and that's when Meadow says, at least she didn't suffer. Yeah, no, exactly. And so I think that is kind of like, that's no, something. That's a key line, I think. Mm -hmm. It's so strange. It really pops out. Well, that's like, it's a it's something trite, right? It's something like, it's these things that are just said. Like, we even see this woman who, that kind of like overweight woman who says, at like at the end of Janice's little circle time, she says, oh, at least they didn't. At least she didn't suffer. Like, we don't even know this person and she's saying it, right? So it is this kind of like trite pleasantry that is said about death, right? It's not anything real about death or real about the person. Yeah. It's just this like thing that you say. And so I think that is kind of like, I don't know if it's about growing up and becoming a robot or if it's just like that life kind of turns us into that in some ways that like, um, Meadow for some like somehow has kind of crossed this threshold from not being a robot to being mm -hmm. a robot um, and you know losing all her innocent innocence like I don't know children or maybe like you know child maybe children deal with their emotions differently right they definitely deal with death differently and I think we kind of see that in AJ too like yeah. we see how his struggle with understanding death is a little bit different than some of the older characters and so as soon as you transition kind of from feeling your emotions to saying these trite expressions yeah. of well at least she didn't suffer yeah. right um you lose something about yourself and your expression or your ability to express yeah things yeah too. definitely i think that's a really good point 
I think it's interesting too. Like, it's almost for me an extension of what was happening the last episode with this examination of the mundane, hmm. and it kind of extends into all we have to cope with these major human issues of death. Like, you know, earlier on we had Tony with Paul, Polly, Sill, and Chris. You know, when they come over after they found out that Livy's dead, and they just like it's so awkward. They have nothing to say, and then yeah, that well, ultimately. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? And then yeah. ultimately, that turns into that line that gets repeated later. At least she didn't suffer. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with Meadow saying that, and then this <laughs> random woman saying at least she didn't <laughs> suffer, I feel like that's all that we're armed with as humans mm. to deal with these things that we can't make sense of. Mm. Just these trite statements, mm-hmm. and there's something that's kind of meaningless about it and, yeah. and mundane and, and everybody's kind of the same. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that that line too, she's becoming a robot like the rest of us is so fascinating because for me, that's outside of the typical dialogue. Yeah, of it doesn't Sopranos. sound like Tony. No. And it doesn't sound like two humans talking. Right. It sounds like that's a rare instance of an interjection of the writer's voice. I think so. And I feel like they're actually playing into the themes of the show and what they're kind of trying to, to hammer home. And this idea of, I mean, I guess kind of what I was i was just kind of flushing out there of this kind of robotic recall of these, these trite statements to yeah, deal with. Yeah, it's like with. this is the right thing to say at yeah. this time, so I'm going to say it. It doesn't require any processing yeah. or emotion, yeah. really. It's a co- it, it, you can cope that way. Yeah. You don't have to talk about something real. Yeah, totally. And actually, that actually plays into during that around that scene too. The, when they reference Livia's favorite song, which is "If I mm-hmm. If I Loved You" from mm-hmm. Carousel, which is, if you don't know about it, it's by Rodgers and Hammerstein, and it's actually probably one of their darkest musicals, musicals. that they ever did. They did it right after Oklahoma, which also has dark themes, um, and kind of gets into some of these deeper issues, which is interesting in comparison to The Sopranos. But in Carousel, I mean, we have <laughs> suicide. The tearing apart of a family, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of like we a have... daughter coping with her father's death, a lack of love between characters, and even the lines that they choose to play in this episode, if I loved you, words wouldn't come in an easy way, round in circles I go. I found that really interesting because there is such a lack of love between the Soprano family, Tony, Janice, Barbara, and their mother, and how it doesn't come easily for any, any of them. And mm. I feel like for Tony... For instance, like with Ray Curtis an informant now compared to Pussy, there's a lot of instances of him just going in circles. I don't think that anything is really progressing for him psychologically mm. by this point. We've seen enough of the show to know that he's kind of just going in circles. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of the things that he's are, you know, he's ostensibly working on are not improving. And he's finding himself in the same situations. And I don't think that he's improving or coping with or dealing with the real root issues of yeah. anything. Well, it's interesting then when he's at Melfi's office, the one scene we get there, he's like, well, she's dead, so I guess we're done now. Yeah. Right? Like, he kind of fails to understand that these things are going to keep coming back around to him. Like, that didn't solve anything for him. Yeah. You know? The only other thing I was thinking of in that scene of the shindig, as they like to call it. (laughs) As you like to call it. As I like to call it. um, is Is Fanny, who's... The character who was actually hit by a car of Livia driving earlier in the show, but happens to be there. And she's actually kind of like hidden behind a character. But she comes out and she talks about how Livia was her best friend. And how whenever anybody was in the hospital or sick, she'd get a call from Lee letting her know. The Mm -hmm. fact that she even has this like caring nickname for her. Mm -hmm. 
it's interesting. I mean, there is kind of a history in this show of humanizing characters, like characters that we hate and are portrayed overwhelmingly and negatively before they go out. There's often sometimes humanizing to kind of complicate oh, it. Oh, I so disagree on that. I think okay. that's just like, like that's Livia. She's like an ambulance chaser, you know, like mm-hmm. she's like wherever there's like suffering and sadness, like she's drawn to that. So of course, like, of course, that's why she'd call somebody and, and be like, did you hear this? Right. Yeah. Like she so, loves that kind of stuff. True. And yet there was a friendship between those two. Fanny thought of her as her best friend. That's nice. You just think she's an idiot? Yeah. <laughs> That's bleak. Yeah, well, <laughs> This is a good show for you. I'm bleak. <laughs> I, yeah, it's true. I mean, I don't think if that's the one kind of positive treatment that Livia gets, it's pretty weak. But there's something. And I think that there's – this show is always kind of giving characters like a multidimensional treatment. Well, I think if there is a part of this episode that does that, it's when they're talking about her photo. that they end up putting on her casket, right? And um, Tony and Janice are down in the basement, and they're saying, wow, look at her. Like, she's smiling. She looks normal, right? And then they say, maybe it was us kids that turned her into such a sourpuss. So there's at least, like, some acknowledgement that there can be, like, that she had factors in her life Mm -hmm. that could have led her to be that way. Yeah, And I think that's kind of the first time that we have characters acknowledging that like that there's like not that they're putting blame on themselves but they're acknowledging that like she wasn't i don't know like uh i don't know how to say it even really that like um she she may have had another trajectory like she could have been this like smiling bride kind of smiling i guess right on her wedding and things could have been different for her. They weren't. And yeah. she turned out this kind of horrible person. Um, but, you know, Tony also grapples with, like, what it means to be a good son. And if he was a good son. We see yeah. him looking, you know, for some reason she kept his stuff. I don't really get that part where she just, like, she had Tony's stuff only. I don't think she cared that much. Like, I don't think it was even a conscious it's thing. It's interesting. But... Um, you know, it's meaningful for the kids who are then left behind who need to interpret it, just like her not yeah. filling out the granny books or whatever yeah. they called them, like with her memories, right? Yeah. Um, what you leave behind is up for interpretation yeah. by people too. Yeah. And clearly it affects different people in different ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's it's another testament to we don't get as much of a window into the psychology of other characters. Like, clearly that really affected Janice, that mm-hmm. only Tony's things were saved. Mm-hmm. And a few of Barb's things. Mm-hmm. But that affected her. But it's cut short by Tony. Yeah. And that's the perspective that we have as an audience. Yeah. And so we don't really get to delve into Janice's psychology as much as Tony's, other than just kind of making sense of it through her actions. Yeah. Which is probably for the best because I think it would be an even crazier. It'd be kind of terrifying. The scene yeah. where she's hammering the wall and then immediately goes to change is to make it look like she's looking at photos is actually interesting. Yeah. The fact that she can turn on a dime and turn it into something that's affecting her like that after she's actually like basically looking for gold yeah. in Libya's house yeah. is really something. Also, actually, in that scene, Tony pulls out the football bat and we get a huge close-up mm-hmm. of it. Which is really interesting thinking about his psychology. Even going back to the pilot, he talks about what a tremendous blow to his self-esteem it was that Junior, you know, would get on his case about that he had the makings of a, being a varsity mm-hmm. athlete. And so clearly that's an important thing for him. And it's interesting for him to see that. And perhaps 
seeing that badge at that pivotal moment where his mom died actually nestles it even deeper into his subconscious. Mm. And in the future, we actually have like dream like sequences mm-hmm. where he is this wrestling. Season? Uh, is it this season? No, no, no. But it's coming, and it's great. But I I wonder when I'm watching it on this viewing, you know, does that moment affect it? affect Tony and nestle it into his subconscious. The fact that he sees that football badge, you know, does that put it in there in a way that only comes out later when we're in that well, kind it's of definitely, psychological we, we realm? We focus on it purposely. Yep. It's like a, just a, in a full screenshot of the letter. Totally. Farsi always, letter. Yeah. Always relevant. Uh, I thought also with Janice, there's so many examples in this episode of her not respecting her mother's wishes Mm -hmm. so obviously we have her not respecting her wishes to not want to have a funeral and have a ceremony and then the second time is when she disrespects the wishes regarding Svetlana getting the discography and Mm -hmm. Svetlana specifically says I feel like I have to respect her wishes Mm -hmm. so it kind of pins those two characters against each other in terms of integrity and in terms of their principles Mm -hmm. and i think that's i mean you know there's so many examples of janice not having upright principles but she actively goes against the wishes of her mom yeah despite being so torn up and putting on this act she also i guess like leaves her fiance behind right this like new fiance that we also is her fiance this like little pizza boy i think he might be (laughs) i think so they both work at kenny rogers roasters little pizza boy (laughs) <laughs> which was very odd i don't know Who how much time knows? passed since she left we don't the fa- know the fact that yeah she has a fiance is concerning yeah i'm concerned for her <laughs> uh i have a few other little things sure um already coming out obviously this would be affecting him too and we don't get oh, the yeah, luxury we have that of... whole flashback a long flashback. long flashback you know but we get reminded of what this means to Artie, but we don't get to deal with it psychologically for him as a character as much as we do for tony but it's interesting how he comes out and he actually, like, dumps the garbage mm-hmm. around Tony's house. I feel like Tony's garbage is actually, like, coming back to be around him. Like, he's surrounded by it. There's so much reference to garbage in the mm-hmm. show, especially in this episode. That's the first thing that happens is lighting this garbage truck on fire. Ralphie is this character who dumpster comes in fires. as, like... Yeah, dumpster fires. He's, like, a character in the garbage Ralphie, world. Ralphie is a dumpster fire of a character. He really is. Yeah. Yeah. And this idea of, you know, like their livelihood and their bread and butter is garbage. But I thought it was interesting that that's actually coming back to Tony's home. Like Artie dumps it. Mm-hmm. Well, we also have Artie, we also then have Artie like making a choice. He goes into the house after dumping the garbage with the intention of saying something about what Livia told him yeah. about Tony, you know, yeah. setting up the blowing up of Vesuvio's. Yeah. And he makes a choice not to, right? And it's kind of like after all these characters, like we have then characters like Carmela's dad and Carmela really speaking truth about yeah. Livia, right? They're not saying these kind of trite things like at least she didn't suffer. They're saying like she was a <laughs> shitty person like, and she made things miserable. Like they, yeah. they weren't mincing their words. And you see Artie kind of like, change his mind a little bit like so like it is kind of this also this thing with death is like how much you know how do you then remember people and like what's appropriate to bring up at that time yeah right um is it like in this case some characters find what janice is doing is the more inappropriate thing right like forcing people to say nice things about her is arguably more inappropriate than 
right. than what goes on. But I, I wonder why Artie doesn't go through with saying what he wants to say. I don't know. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The only other interesting thing I had was the recreation of the Godfather scene. So when Tony, Barb, and um, Janice are all going to the Undertaker, who's Cozzarelli in this episode, they actually like frame it identically to the scene with Bonacera, the Undertaker, who's the guy like in the first scene of Godfather who's going with a favor to ask right. at the wedding right. of Don Corleone and then later on Don, Don Corleone calls him back for a favor and goes right. to the Undertaker so they actually just like recreate that with the elevator scene um, the last thing actually the thing I had that I thought was really interesting that I would leave it off in with is at the very end of the episode the choice of music so we have the end of the movie at the end of Public Enemy that, that Tony's watching and he actually starts kind of crying and then it actually cuts to some music which is the standard i'm forever blowing bubbles and Mm -hmm. it's this like les paul version which is interesting because i feel like it also takes this episode kind of slightly out of the canon of sopranos it's like detached it's other it's kind of like otherworldly and there's these kind of like weird effects and it's almost Mm -hmm. it just doesn't really fit in the way other things do it's almost kind of like campy or something Mm -hmm. But it's interesting because the lyrics to that song, I thought that there were some interesting things like, well, the lyrics are, I'm forever blowing bubbles, pretty bubbles in the air. They fly so high, nearly reach the sky. Then like my dreams, they fade and die. Fortune's always hiding. I've looked everywhere. I'm forever blowing bubbles, pretty bubbles in the air. That's kind of the the part of the song that comes back to be repeated many times. And for me, that's kind of fitting and interesting in Livia's send-off episode, just in terms of kind of like reflecting her worldview. I mean, it's so pessimistic and all of these ideas of like your dreams all fade and die and that fortune's always hiding, but, and that you've looked everywhere, but you can't find it is this idea that it's this very kind of like bleak idea of the world's out to get you and that you can't succeed. And that when you try to do things, it kind of your bubbles pop Mm. basically. And I, I thought it was interesting, too, with that song that's seemingly pretty upbeat, but underneath the surface, there's actually these pretty dark lyrics. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of these characters kind of feel that way. Like, a lot of their dreams are are not coming to pass. Mm-hmm. Like, they can't have what they want. They mm-hmm. can't have their joy. And, I, I mean, there's there's more in the song. If you're interested, you can go find the lyrics. But it was it was an interesting choice of song and very kind of, like, coded, too. The fact that they don't even use the lyrics... But I thought it was interesting in the episode with Livia actually passing away. There, there's more in there, too. Maybe it was just, just Nancy Marchand's favorite song. No, her favorite song was If I Loved You from no, Carousel. I, I, no, I'm not saying <laughs> Livia's favorite song. Oh. I'm saying Nancy Marchand's favorite song. Maybe. Well, then Nancy Marchand maybe had a bleak worldview, too, because that's a pretty bleak song. <laughs> anyway, we appreciate you listening. Yes. We'll be back for more. Yes, we will. Okay, bye. Bye.